Once again, the Gospel of John, back a few chapters to chapter 14. And then on page 27, the back of our blue hymnal, the one question and answer from Lord's Day 20, we'll read and respond with that together. John 14. Let's begin at verse 15. John 14, verse 15. This is God's holy word. He gives it to us for our good. Let's give our attention to its reading. If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our Lord endures forever. Amen. Then question and answer 53. Catechism lesson for tonight, just this one. Let's read the answer together. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, He, as well as the Father and the Son, is eternal God. Second, He has been given to me personally, so that, through faith, He makes me share in Christ and all His blessings, comforts me, and remains with me forever. There's a little bit of an irony in that the the theologian that we point to as the fount of Calvinism, John Calvin, is often called the theologian of the Holy Spirit. And yet the tradition which bears his name oftentimes is maligned for 
uh, pushing the Holy Spirit to the, to the fringes, to the outside, to the boundaries, and not speaking about him as much. It, when I was at Wheaton College, someone had described it to me that the, sort of all of Christendom is viewed kind of leaning towards one of the persons of the Trinity or another and kind of Roman Catholicism, Eastern Orthodoxy, sort of seen under the banner of the Father, the Reformed, and particularly churches that focus on the Reformation, that would be under the, the, the Son, and then the, the Radical Reformation, all the Charismatic and Pentecostal movements, uh, they would be uh, considered under the Holy Spirit. But uh, what's interesting, and we go back to Calvin as the theologian of the Holy Spirit, why was he called the theologian of the Holy Spirit? It was because uh, he had such a strong, robust view of what the Spirit does in making Christ present to us and empowering the believer to live according to the commandments of God. In, In that sense, All of the gratitude section of the Heidelberg Catechism is really a commentary on the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does in the lives of Christians. So it's not just that uh, the Holy Spirit gets one question and answer in the Catechism, sort of never addressed again. We have to see the Holy Spirit working uh, behind all of these things. And that's a little bit of of a really accurate commentary on what the Spirit does. We have to see all of the works of the Trinity as supremely unified. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit working perfectly in tandem. And that unity of the work of the Trinity is seen especially in this Last Supper discourse in the Gospel of John. And we see the way that Jesus goes back and forth talking about the will of the Father and his own work the work of the Spirit whom he will send, and how it all works together. And we'll address that a little bit more as we walk through these things uh, together. The best way for us to understand the person and work of the Holy Spirit is to understand what Jesus teaches us about what he does in us and what happens as a result. So first, as we see in our catechism, the Holy Spirit is divine. The Holy Spirit is true God, and he makes Christ present to us in his ministry. The Holy Spirit is true God, and he makes Christ present to us in his ministry. Jesus, we're talking about the unified work of the Trinity, promised uh, to send the Spirit in his name just as he had uh, come in his Father's name and had fulfilled the will of his Father. We read in John chapter 6, I have come down out of heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. There's something mysterious here that we understand about the inner workings of the Trinity and then the outward workings of the Trinity. Jesus is true God, equal in power and glory to the Father, and yet as he comes in his incarnation, he says that as this person who is human and divine, he's submitting to the Father's will. In a similar way, the Holy Spirit, equal with the Father and the Son in power and glory, comes and fulfills the mission, really completes the mission of Jesus on the earth. 
John chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus said, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. In John chapter 15, that we... uh, We didn't read this tonight, actually. John 15. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. In our passage tonight, he is called a counselor. Other translations have it as helper or comforter. It's really a, a, a term that has to do with helping, someone who comes to the aid of someone else. And it's really that he comes to our aid because we need him and all that he can do. He is able to fulfill the ministry of Christ, but to do it all throughout the world, all at the same time. The Holy Spirit glorifies Christ, glorifies Christ and illumines his word. That's the mission of the Holy Spirit, not to glorify his own name, but to glorify the name of Jesus Christ. And that's why you often see that the Holy Spirit is thought of behind all of these things. And even in our catechisms and confessions, need to see the way that the doctrine of the Holy Spirit teaches us about the person of the Spirit. He exalts uh, Jesus Christ and the name of Jesus Christ. There's also uh, that counselor, helper, comforter. He teaches us and brings to remembrance all of the things that Jesus said. What is the help that the Holy Spirit gives to us? In the context of John chapter 14, one of the most natural things that we see is the Spirit helps us keep in step with living according to the commandments of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will come, He will help, and because of his help, he will help you live according to my commandments. This is why we need to think of the Holy Spirit as tethered to the work of the Son. The Holy Spirit comes not to give all of these new revelations, but rather to make the truth of Jesus Christ present in the world, to convict the world. And to show the world its need for righteousness and a savior and of coming judgment. That's what the Holy Spirit does. There was, I was in a conversation this past week and, and uh, a person with whom I was speaking basically said that anyone who has the Holy Spirit can speak with the same authority as scripture. So if you're speaking to a Christian, you almost have to kind of receive what they're saying as on par with scripture. And that's not what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is tethered to the work of Christ and tethered to the work of the, of the Holy Scripture and it makes Scripture bring its meaning to us and that's how we understand it in its fullness. Also, the presence of the Spirit fulfills Jesus' promise to not leave us. Remember, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. Well, how is that promise fulfilled? That promise is fulfilled as he sends the Spirit... And through the Spirit, Christ is made present to us. 
One of the great pictures of this is in the Lord's Supper. Why can we as Reformed Christians who do not believe in the doctrine of transubstantiation of the Roman Catholic Church, that the bread literally becomes the literal body and blood of Christ, or in the Lutheran doctrine that says the humanity of Christ is sort of in, with, and under, it's this big mystery. Now, we say that Christ's body remains in heaven, but he is spiritually present to us. How? By the power of the Spirit, because we know that God has promised to attend to our observance of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, and that his Spirit will be there in abundance, making Christ present to us. In a sense, that's what happens all throughout our lives. So because of the Holy Spirit, Christ is present with us. We need to remember that, and it needs to overflow in a desire to worship God, the Holy Spirit. Here's another thing as well. Since the Spirit is given to us by Christ as a gift, a gift of his grace, that's how we know the Spirit can never be taken away. Think about it with Adam in the garden. Certainly we would, if, if we were to unpack the, the, the passages in Genesis and think about that uh, for any length of time, we would realize that the Spirit was there with Adam. God was there in the garden. The Spirit was there with Adam. But uh, he was not given to Adam immutably. In other words, uh, Adam could lose that fellowship with the Holy Spirit if he sinned. And indeed, he did sin. But the great promise for us, brothers and sisters, is that since Jesus Christ is the second Adam, since he fulfilled the law on our behalf, since he was obedient to the commands of God and to the Father's will, when he ascends into heaven and he receives that gift of the Holy Spirit, he is able to give it as a gift of grace and we receive that Spirit not according to our own righteousness, not according to our own merit, but according to the righteousness and the merit of Jesus Christ. He earned that gift for us. And since he gives it, that's how we know that the Spirit will remain with us forever. Second, second main set of ideas is this. By faith, the Spirit unites us to Christ and all of his blessings, and therefore God makes his home in us. By faith... The Spirit unites us to Christ and all of his blessings, and God makes his home in us. When I was in seminary, and I think I've shared this with you before, the whole class about salvation was called the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it was in that class where we learned about forgiveness, redemption, justification, sanctification. It's called the doctrine of the Holy Spirit because the Spirit applies the work of Jesus Christ to us. Jesus accomplishes it, and the Spirit applies it to us. So by faith, the Spirit unites us to Christ and all of his blessings. This, of course, is something that happens as a result of God's sovereign choice. He predestined us to adoption, that we would be holy and blameless before him. So it's rooted in the election of God, the electing love of God, and then it is made manifest in what's what's called our effectual calling. In other words, the, the irresistible grace of God comes and acts upon someone in time and space, and the Holy Spirit grants faith. And by faith, we are united to Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 
It says this, even when we were dead in our transgressions, God was rich in mercy. And because of his great love, what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. So by the Spirit, we're made to get alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And that happens in what theologians call our effectual calling. And that happens normally when the gospel is preached, the gospel is presented. And through that word of the gospel, God can grant faith to those whom he has elected. To those who have already trusted in Christ and those who are walking in faith, God can strengthen faith as the gospel is proclaimed. And that's why we proclaim the gospel week after week within these walls. But we see there, don't we, about the necessity of faith. The necessity of faith. And this is one of the reasons why we think about being united to Christ and all of these wonderful blessings through faith and by faith. And it causes us to reflect and say, uh, Lord, would you grant me more faith? Would you strengthen my faith? Even though it is a gift of grace, we need to be diligent to keep and to guard our faith. And so those primary blessings of Christ, that which he gives to us in his spirit, three things, justification, adoption, and sanctification. Justification, we know it well, it's where our sins are forgiven and we are declared righteous. We enter into the courtroom of God. And when a believer is given faith, they are cleansed of their sin and they are granted the righteousness of Christ and they have peace with God. And adoption is when we are welcomed into the family of God. Galatians chapter 4 says this, Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. In other words, it's by the spirit of Christ given to us that we're able to cry out because we know and we sense and we experience the fatherly love of God. Romans 8, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Justification, adoption, and then sanctification. We spoke of that a little bit this morning. Those who by faith receive the spirit are made to know him and to serve him more and more. You are dwelt by the spirit of God. By faith. And because of that, God's home is now in us. Think of the Old Testament temple where the presence of God dwelt in its majesty and in all of its holiness. Well, in the New Testament, after the resurrection of Christ, the people become the temple of God. They're described as living stones. You have that picture of a stone that is is growing. Kind of an interesting way to create a picture. A stone is something solid that doesn't grow. But by the Spirit of God, we are made to be part of the temple of God, and God is growing us in holiness and faith and hope and love. These are all wonderful promises that we find in God's Word. Third, the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in us is assuring us of our inheritance, assuring us of our salvation, and causing us to live according to God's command. The ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in us is to assure us of eternal life and to cause us to live according to God's command. 
Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. In Romans chapter 8, it also goes on to say that our spirit testifies with the Holy Spirit that we are sons of God. It's a bit of a mystery, isn't it? And because it's a spiritual truth, it's a mysterious truth, it's something that we need to lean on God for. In John chapter 3, Jesus says, the wind blows where it wishes. No one knows where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. These are spiritual things. And we need to be careful that we don't construct in our minds a sort of Christians understand spiritual things and non-Christians don't. No, we struggle to understand these things. But it makes us lean on God so that we know them more, so that we understand them more. So we pray things like, Father, would you help me to sense the presence of the Spirit that I might have that assurance? Now, that's not the only source of assurance, is that experience of the Father's love. The promises of the gospel give us assurance, but the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are the sons of God. And he has given us the Spirit, placed it upon our hearts as a guarantee. The Spirit causes us to love Jesus in a way that accords with his moral law. John chapter 14, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Amazing. And Jesus teaches us about the Spirit in these ways. And of course, the Gospel of John has a lot of language like this. The book of 1 John especially has a lot of language like this. If you love the Lord, you will obey his commandments. 1 John chapter 5. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and we obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. What that verse means, it's what it's talking about is that our obedience to God is not legal obedience. In other words, we're not trying to earn a standing before God. Romans 5, you stand before God in grace. His commandments are not burdensome in the sense that our obedience is not legal. It is what theologians call evangelical. It's obedience in the gospel. It's obedience in the freedom of Christ and the freedom of a clean conscience knowing that your sins are forgiven and that the Spirit is sanctifying you. John chapter 14 goes on to say, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. You see how Jesus uh, ties together love, the moral law, and obedience to that law. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. Love today, in our world, what does love look like in our world? It often looks like tolerance or niceness, being nice to people. If you're loving, you'll be nice. But here, it is loyalty to what Jesus taught and commanded. Loyalty to what he taught and what he commanded. Taking seriously his word, regarding him as Lord, and obeying his commandments. 
That's what the Spirit does in us to cause us to love him more. The Spirit dwells in us and causes us to live in accordance with God's command. And that is how, here's the great mystery of John 14 and where, kind of where we're going tonight. This is how the world sees Christ in us and one of the ways in which the world is to see the truth of God. It, one, as the disciples of Jesus, they're asking him, what are you, what's all this talk about you going away and you're not going to reveal yourself to the world? The world isn't going to see you, but we will know you and you will be in us. What's going on there is Jesus is saying, I'm going to heaven. I'm sending the Spirit. The Spirit is going to equip you as the people of God so that the world might see the truth about me in the way that you live. That's what Jesus is saying. It's that trading places with the Spirit so that the Spirit equips us to live in a certain way. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Here's what it says. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then here, verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. It's pretty interesting. Why why does John construct that verse that way? I'll read it again. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. That should remind us of the first chapter of John. John chapter 1 Verse 18, there we read this. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. In other words, uh, no one has seen God. Jesus Christ came to make God known in the earth. And that's what he did. He came to the earth, he revealed God, he taught of God, he declared him, he showed him, and then he ascended into heaven. The way that that story gets continued is by the power of the Holy Spirit in the people of God, causing them to love love God, love Jesus, love his commandments, his commandments are not burdensome, and to love one another. That, is, that becomes a testimony, a witness to God set up on the earth by the way that we love each other. John chapter 13, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. But we can't forget the way that Jesus has just described love. He has tied together love, the moral law, and obedience to the commandments. What does love look like? Obeying the commandments of Jesus. So what does love for each other look like in addition to what we know to be love? Things like sacrifice and servanthood and uh, serving one another. But one of the things that love for each other should look like is not tolerance, but for instance, what we talked about in Philippians chapter 3, an intense desire to see all of us together arrive at the finish line of life loving Jesus and serving him. So if we have love for one another, 
we will be equipped with courage to speak words of encouragement, of exhortation, of teaching towards one another. We'll be able to lift one another up because our concern is that each of us, as the people of God, would continue serving God and glorifying Him by obeying the teaching of Jesus. All by His grace, all underneath the shadow of grace, by the cross, by the power of the Spirit. Nonetheless, this is what the Holy Spirit does in the lives of the people of God. Because of that, we are to practice love. We are to practice righteousness. And by doing so, God manifests his presence here on the earth. Jesus is in heaven. He sent his spirit. His spirit equips his people to love one another. And the way that we love each other shows the world that God is true, that Jesus Christ is real and risen, And that what he has done in us is undeniable. Such a great and encouraging thing that God says the way that we live with one another, the way that we love one another, that will be seen by the world. What a great responsibility he gives to us in that. But how does that all happen? It happens by the Spirit who is given to us as a gift of grace. It's a mystery. The wind blows where it wishes. And these are spiritual things. And in order to understand them better, we need to lean on the power of God. Romans 14, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Jesus said, I will send the Spirit. By the Spirit, you will love one another. By the Spirit, you will learn to love me and obey my commandments. The things that we do is we pray. That's why the Heidelberg Catechism in teaching us to pray says that the two main things that we are to pray for are grace and the Holy Spirit. Because by this, this is how God equips us. That we would live as children of God in his kingdom, leaning on him, trusting in Christ, by the grace of God, trusting in his power, but having this great and wonderful reality. The third person of the Trinity dwelling in us, living in us, to bring about this new, faithful, gospel-centered obedience and love uh, without the burden of having to earn it ourselves. May we do so by the power of God and especially by the power of the Spirit. Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, all of these truths and we thank you for what Jesus taught us and what he proclaimed to his disciples, those who would become the apostles, the cornerstone of the church. And we thank you as we even think about the day of Pentecost, that great proclamation that Jesus had won, that which could not be reversed. And so we pray that you would shed the Holy Spirit upon us, that all of these things we would be able to do. 
And we pray that you would soften our hearts to these truths, uh, that we might live in accordance with the commandments of God, knowing that the, the bill has been paid, righteousness has been achieved, but may we never use that as a license to sin, but rather to serve you. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's end.